How can we stay on top of the fast-changing landscape of 21st century living and learning? This is the driving question that fuels our chats here on STEMcast. Join me as I talk to teachers, students, advocates, STEM practitioners, and professionals. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Latif Al-Khalifa. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of this podcast. All right, where do we begin with this one? Let's say that not many people relate STEM to business. It surprises them how many of the skills successful entrepreneurs nurture are developed in STEM pursuits, not the least of which are problem solving and design thinking. Today, we explore the intersection of STEM and business and explore technology in aid of education. Welcome STEMcasters, friends, and chat enthusiasts. Thanks for tuning in today. Our guest is a senior business leader at Hewitt Packard, HP. Mayank Bingra leads the education business vertical for Middle East, Africa, and Eastern Europe at HP Inc. His role is to provide commercial, headship, strategic direction, solution frameworks, and thought leadership to the education business line. Sounds like a mouthful, but we'll have him explain how all that translates into meaningful and impactful service. Ladies and gentlemen, let's say hello to Mr. Mayank Dingra. All right, Mayank, welcome to the STEMcast podcast. I'm really excited uh, to host you here today. Thank you so much, Latifa. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Your work is inspiring and, uh, you know, I think you're making such an impact on the students and educators that uh, I consider it, uh, I consider myself fortunate to be on this call with you. I honestly, I feel the same way. And we were talking just before recording and I said, you know, I, I met you last year through an online program and you know, it just the things that you said really resonated with me and I wanted to keep in touch with you. And I knew somehow in some capacity, we're going to end up like either working together or collaborating or finding ways in which we can, you know, continue, uh, you know, just really exchanging thoughts and ideas on things that matter to us, which is, you know, obviously education and and uh, students and children, etc. So uh, I'm really fortunate to have you here on the podcast. And if I, if I were to start, Mayank, really, you know, I think given that you hold a very notable position, um, a lot of people would probably be inclined to think that you were a straight A student. So was that the case when you, when, you know, when you were coming up the ranks, so to speak, uh, back, you know, in your school, school days? Um, and, and what was your favorite subject when you were at school? So yeah, I, I, I think I did do well academically at, at school uh, and uh, math was my favorite subject for a very long time apart from English. So I think I enjoyed these two subjects, but uh, you know, my, my heart wasn't something else. So I was also fairly active. Uh, so I became a rock climbing instructor very early on uh, while in the last couple of years of school. So I, I used to hike a lot. I, I did a lot of water sports and I, I got certified in all of these uh, sort of aspects of uh, the adventure activities. And at, a, at one stage, I was very keen on making adventure uh, tourism a career. But, you know, it was a, a very nascent stage in India at that stage. And he was trying to take the road less traveled, which I was willing to do. Uh, but I took a fairly bad uh, accident uh, in a rock climbing incident and I tore all the ligaments in my wrist and so on. And, and for a while, I think that put my parents uh, in a bit of uh, 
a bit of anxiety whether I was on the right uh, path. So we settled for hospitality management, which seemed to be the midway path uh, around what I wanted to do. And uh, and so yes, you know, I went into hospitality and I was with hotels for a while, and then I joined Emirates Airline. Uh, so I spent a good 15 years uh, with Emirates Airline between two stints. I, I did a stint with Air Arabia as well. But uh, I, I think you know. Uh, life takes its own course uh, and the sort of destiny plays out uh, very often so for me on the active side uh, you know i found my peace with yoga uh, so it, it sort of spoke to me and i became a yoga teacher as well so i've been teaching for the last 17 years and i run a non-profit entity uh, as well called yoga smriti so i, I support uh, uh, a few shelters across the globe one in uh, africa one in nepal one in india so you know in, in a way i found myself back in the active space, but in a different uh, avatar, uh, so to speak. But, uh, you know, that also led me to my midlife crisis moment, which was to say that, you know, I want to do something more purposeful with my day job. And uh, so I thought education is the answer. So about five years back, uh, I decided to move into education. And uh, I wrote to a couple of, uh, I wrote to the National University of Singapore for, because I thought a couple of roles there excited me. But I wasn't from the space. I wasn't in the, from the region. You know, I've made Middle East my home for the last 22 years. And so I never heard back. But uh, you know, within one month of deciding on moving to education, I had a reach out from GEMS, uh, which is the largest education group in this part of the world. And they were you know, at that stage looking for somebody to head their commercial section and uh, move them into a more institutionalized space from a commercial uh, viewpoint. So, you know, that was serendipity at work, right? Uh, I wanted to move to education and, 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 uh, and, and the universe moved it for me, right? I made it happen. So, of course, I joined, uh, you know, GEMS uh, at that stage about uh, four and a half, five years back. And there's been no looking back uh, since then, you know. I, I knew I was joining with rose-tinted glasses. In fact, uh, I met with, you know, the CEO at that time and, and told him after three months, I said that, you know, I came in with rose-tinted glasses knowing that I was wearing them. But uh, I think I found my home in education. So, uh, so here I am now with HP in education. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. I think Steve Jobs once said, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Um, and I think this is something that I always preach on the podcast because a lot of our listeners are youth. You know, they are, they've just started, you know, their university uh, or, you know, they've just landed their first job. So, you know, they're very young professionals. And oftentimes, you know, when you're, you know, when you're young, you're ambitious and you tend to kind of plan ahead, you know, three years, five years, like this is how it's going to be. And it's interesting to hear your journey that, you know, you started out one way and then you kind of took the, the road less traveled and it just kind of paved its, you know, the road paved itself and you just kind of followed along and just put one foot in front of the other and you finally found, you know, a purposeful calling. Um, and, 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 and so I think, I think I do want to make a point here to talk about, you know, the, the new definition of work today, you know, as opposed to how we used to see work uh, previously as something that would just pay the bills, et cetera. So what specifically kind of called you to education? You know, you mentioned specifically you were looking for purposeful work. Was there something specifically that you did not find in your previous jobs that you, that you felt like you needed to do something completely different to fulfill you? So let me answer that in two ways, right? One is that my previous work was definitely very fulfilling, right? So I, I had a, a very interesting career. I made a lot of changes between industries, between sort of work streams. Uh, you know, I, I went into the commercial space and I moved into 
technology. I, I, I looked after customer experience for Donata. I then headed the global technology partnerships with Emirates Group. So uh, I, I don't think I ever had a boring moment in that sense, right? I mean, it was a, a, it always kept me fulfilled. Uh, I, I do enjoy that space as well, right? The aviation space, the hospitality space. But I think the, the missing element was a certain level of altruism, right? And I think uh, some of us want that a little more than others. And, and if you're seeking that, then I think you, know, you start gravitating towards things which give you that sense of purpose. Also, I think a lot of people mistake passion for purpose. And I think, you know, especially as youngsters are starting out in their journeys these days, the sort of mantra or the fad is that, you know, find your passion and you don't have to do a day's work. But I, I, I have a slightly different view of that, right? I think more than passion, you need to find your sense of purpose because passions can ebb and flow and, you know, give birth and die and so on. But a sense of purpose goes higher than passion. And I think that's what you need to find. And, and the purpose could come from doing a day job with a slightly different uh, sort of uh, way of looking at it or, it or it having a slightly higher purpose than its immediate core context. So that is what I think one should look for, right? That purpose, that sense of purpose more than the sense of passion because the sense of passion can still be fulfilled outside of work as well. You know, as an example, like I said, I still teach yoga and you know, I still take lead workshops for it and I still do a lot of uh, active work around yoga, but that doesn't mean that I need to or want to take it up as a full-time career, you know? So you don't need to necessarily uh, inter intermingle the two. They can exist as happy co-parallels in the world for you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with your definition of passion. And I think it's just such a misused word today. Um, and it just, you know, it, I don't know, just dilutes some of the things that you just talked about. But if we were to segue a little bit to talk about, you know, you finding your place at HP finally, which is, you know, where you are today. Um, can you tell us like, you know, in a snapshot sentence or two, what do you do at HP today that excites you? So, you know, I lead the education vertical at, at HP, which means that I, I sort of provide thought leadership. I uh, give commercial direction. I look at the solution frameworks and so on. But I think what uh, sort of excites me is the two worlds are balanced, right? One is making sure that, you know, from a commercial sense, we are, we are on our trajectory, on our path that we have defined for ourselves. But at the same time, how we may be able to do social good, how we may be able to make an impact in this world and how we able to keep the two aligned, right? Because sometimes people believe that the two cannot be aligned and, you know, they're, they're completely different uh, aspects. But I think more and more, you're going to start seeing brands being purpose-driven, and which means that they will want to be commercially viable. They'll want to be uh, uh, hitting a certain profit uh, target, which they've set for themselves. But equally, they'll want to unlock value for the communities they operate in, right? They will want to create that uh, sort of just and equitable society and, and make sure that they're part of that. So I think uh, I'm fortunate to be part of uh, a company that drives both these agendas, you know, the commercial profit agenda, as well as the social good agenda and, and uh, without a conflict in that. I mean, we're able to make these coexist and drive them in the same direction. Nice. Uh, I've always said, you know, my intention with, with co-founding Cleverfield was three and a half years ago. Uh, like there were really three, three criteria that it had to meet um, or otherwise I wouldn't have been uh, interested one is it had to be meaningful. Two, it had to have an impact. And three, joyful. Like if I don't, if I'm not having fun, I'm, I'm not into it. 
Uh, and so, like you said, you know, it's it's really about striking a balance between doing purposeful work, you know, obviously profitable, but, you know, profits for a purpose and seeing that impact like on the ground and having fun in the process because life's too short to, you know, to do something that you don't actually enjoy. Uh, <laughs> that's right. my philosophy, at least. <laughs> um, a sound philosophy. Yeah. So in a nutshell, what would you say is HP's education proposition today? So I think we offer a complete education ecosystem, right? From devices to solutions to services. I mean, our devices, for example, we have education edition devices, which uh, go through far more military tests and you know have a longer battery life, uh, unbreakable glass and so on, so that they can go through the rigors which a, which a young student would put, it, put them through. But equally, you know, we have other solutions like uh, HP Class Easy, which is a learning management uh, solution, uh, which can create virtual classrooms or uh, HP Classroom Manager, which is like command center on the teacher screen and binds all the devices in the, in the room together. And then we have, you know, services, right? So we have got uh, HP School Coach, which looks at digital transformation of schools. Uh, we have HP Life, which looks at uh, setting youngsters on an entrepreneur journey. So I think we, we sort of, uh, you know, uh, go through the entire spectrum of what education needs, like I said, from devices to solutions to services. I'm sure you're met with challenges. I, I think, you know, no job comes without its challenges. So what would you say are the challenges that you face either on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, yearly, um, or maybe things that are specifically related to COVID that came up that was, you know, that weren't the case uh, previously? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, just to reiterate, of course, you know, it, it's brilliant to be part of a brand which is purpose-driven and you can find fulfillment in it. But, you know, it, there's no utopia, right? So uh, when you're part of a large organization like HP, which is, you know, 60,000 employees ballpark and, you know, 80 odd years uh, of existence, it, it's, it's, a, it's a legacy organization and it's a lot of work to steer this large ship in a different direction at short notice which is what COVID has required us to do, right? Uh, the, especially the education space has been sort of imploding and transforming uh, since uh, the pandemic struck. So I think, you know, uh, people like me have to be constantly in entrepreneur mode, which sometimes can be difficult, uh, more difficult than being an entrepreneur, because, you know, you have to respond to market changes, but you're in an organization which for the right reasons is not possible to steer very, very quickly. So how do you be an in, in, an inter, in an entrepreneur mode always? And how do you take people along with you? How do you get them into the tent? And uh, how do you find a way to remain nimble and agile despite the size? And I think, you know, I'm again lucky to have colleagues around me who sort of rally and support me and, and we, we find our way together and maneuver it, uh, but it's not always easy. Yeah. And I think you, you know, it's, you, you made a very important point here, which is, you know, uh, entrepreneurship, which I think is, is, is not talked about enough. Uh, and it's very important, um, you know, in, in your own capacity in a specific and purposeful organization, what can you do to be able to have that mindset and, and still bring about, you know, change? Um, I remember, you know, reading an, an article that you've written several months back. Um, it was a very compelling article entitled uh, Revolution of Education, where you essentially described, you know, the pandemic as a push and a great force for uh, innovation. So I'm sure it's, you know, it, it definitely accelerated the school's shift to, you know, more digital planes. And in that sense, really the future was almost kind of forced upon us sooner than we would have liked, right? Yeah. So 
what would you say is the single most important learning point from this experience? I mean, you, you said it well, right? The, the force has been, uh, the change has been forced upon us. And, you know, uh, in the words of Lenin, there are decades when nothing happens. And then, you know, there are weeks in which decades happen. And, and we are right now in that space, right? I think there's been more change in the last 16 months in education than in the last 60 years. So, you know, in the article that you referred to, I, I looked at uh, education across two lenses, right? One is the innovation impact and one is the pace or the speed at which that will take place. And, and the first layer was uh, an incremental layer where a lot of things that we were speaking about but weren't really coming to fruition would now become sort of, uh, you know, run of the mill, which was blended classrooms, uh, flipped classrooms and, you know, technology really seeping into the class and, and, uh, and, and courses becoming more modular or, or elastic. And then, you know, around the bend would be things like virtual reality coming in, boundaryless campuses, and then, you know, you go to the next phase, which is where transformation would start taking place, where academia and big tech or companies like us would sort of partner and, and create new frameworks for education. And gaming or esports would become a new way of taking education to the student audience because that's where they're living. So, you know, how does, uh, how do you sort of uh, combine the space that they live in to become an uh, element of uh, or, or a medium of education, trans, trans, uh, uh, transforming knowledge and education. But I think all of that at the end of the pyramid would be education as a service, right? So, so to me, that is the, the key element that I think companies or one company is going to come and really transform education as a service because everything would be available on a subscription model, whether, you know, you from cradle to grave as they, as they say it in the e-commerce world, right? So you would handhold a person through his various uh, requirements of uh, education uh, from elementary school to sort of uh, uh, supplementary courses during his career to, you know, with all of us having six, seven careers, you're probably still going to be learning in our 70s, 80s, 90s. So how do you make devices and knowledge come together and how do you charge a subscription fee on it and, and uh, you know, partner with the individual till the end of his learning journey and uh, how is it contextual and personalized for him or her and how does it become education to the power of one that is going to be the end uh, result right education to the power of one and education available as a service mm. i'm curious to hear what constitutes as good education from your point of view i think anything that is unlocking value for that individual and is making the individual a better person from a knowledge base, from a, a morality base, from an ethics base, I think is good education. Because the purpose of education is to be, to be an agency of change, right? And as long as education is being an agency of change in the right direction, uh, then you know it, it's, it's good education. And, and maybe if I were to follow up on that question to say, what would be the role of schools and universities today, uh, especially in a changing world? Uh, whose role is it really to kind of start preparing the next generations? Is it the school? Is it the university? Both the learner? How do you see it from, from your point of view? And, and like, how might you see the roles of you know, schools and universities change over the coming years too? Yeah. You know, I would probably put the 70-20-10 rule on this uh, and maybe change the ratios to be, you know, 55, 35, 20. Uh, 
but i think the the predominant role would still be of institutions of education those institutions might not look like what we see them today uh, so you know schools and uh, universities or you know the the moocs uh, to me they're all educational institutions institutions they will of course still play the pivotal role right but they'll no longer be the repository of information i think they'll become facilitators of knowledge they'll become sort of doorkeepers to knowledge but then you know the role of parents or guardians or 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 sort of the elders in a sense whatever you would like to term them so this home environment would also become crucial because today students are learning from home uh, so what is the sort of value set they're learning at home what is the sort of direction they're receiving at home uh, what are the sort of uh, you know fundamental life skills they're receiving uh, from the guardians or parents become equally important right because uh, i think we never teach life skills enough in the typical educational institution environment so those life skills need to come from obviously the other environment but the individual has his or her own role to play as well and that's the 20% or the 10% or whatever you want to put it as as a ratio but you know that is also very very crucial i think you know we are all in charge of our own destinies to a certain extent uh, in charge of our own journeys and it is on uh, us as an individual to take charge and make sure that we are setting ourselves up on the right direction we are fulfilling our potential we are uh, you know realizing our, our our true abilities and unlocking that for ourselves yeah i've been um, you know i'm i'm going on a short vacation um which is i'm not traveling by any means but you know i'm still staying put but just taking a little bit of a break and i was thinking about like how am i going to use that time and i i started toying with the idea of creating my own curriculum for that one week that i'm going to be off like what is it that i want to be learning and what outcomes do i want to achieve at the end of the 7 days and i think there's so much power in kind of empowering the learner to say hey create your own curriculum things that actually excite you and and go study that as opposed to you know kind of like a one size fits all everyone has to do science everyone has to do history everyone has to do math english and, and you know all the like the core subjects um and i really i i hope to see the day and it, i think it's coming faster than than we you know that i expect at least that learners will have the opportunity to design to some extent the things that excite them uh, and 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 go you know go there basically i completely agree i mean at hp we actually sort of uh, uh, pioneered that to some extent i think this year because we are giving one day off uh, you know in a in a quarter to go and learn something new uh, something that's not your core sort of role Uh, it, it, it's still sort of maybe within the HP framework, but you know, if I do education, I go and sort of learn about healthcare, or I go, go and learn about product management, or so on, right? So we're saying that go and open your uh, eyes and ears and your minds to a completely new set of uh, uh, skills that you might not otherwise have uh, had time in the day. And here it is within your payday, go and uh, learn something new. So I think you know we're really uh, allowing people that uh, sort of. luxury and that creativity to go and experiment with what they want to learn yeah yeah definitely i think there's so much to say not just in a school setting but also in you know in a professional work setting to be able to give that time to go and just play with your ideas you know have a passion project on the side uh, experiments with new things and see like just being in that state of awe and and wonder and experimentation and you know innovation 
no doubt, you know, it will have some kind of, you know, carryover to your work and just seeing it in, in new eyes. Um, if, if, if we were to segue to talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned life skills. So I do want to touch on this a little bit. So you, uh, you spoke quite strikingly uh, about the dramatic transition of, you know, the learning environment from brick and mortar school to a bytes and pixel um, environment, which I, you know, very like just the, the wording is, is, is beautifully sounding. And, and you mentioned how the educational journey is now back in the hands of the learner, which is what we've been touching on uh, recently. And so I think, you know, with the virtual learning, it really does promote independent learning skills. But what challenges do you see surfacing, especially in terms of socio, you know, social, emotional impact of remote uh, learning in particular? Very interesting question, right? So the the issue with framing that question is the lens we wear, right? So very often, you know, if you're in a certain age group, the lens you're going to wear on that is to say that the minute the interaction with another human being is via a technological medium, it's less impactful. It is not as, uh, you know, fulfilling. It's not as it should be. But, you know, if we start looking at it from the lens of a 10 year old, from a 15 year old, they live in a different uh, way of functioning. For them, some of them are more at ease interacting with their friends over the technology mediums than they are over, uh, you know, in person. And, and you would say that, okay, but isn't that, you know, not so great? Is it not, not uh, you know, is it unhealthy to the extent of going and saying that? But if you listen to the peals of laughter that come out when they're interacting with each other over a, over a game or over a you know a chat over a, a video conferencing, sometimes that's even better than when they're in person because they're more awkward in person. And I'm not saying that's a general rule, right? I'm just trying to open the mind to say that it is not the norm that you would have a better interaction in the real world versus the virtual world. They, Sometimes you are more at ease in the virtual world because that is the you're a native, you're a digital native, and that's how you're at ease. So, so your fulfillment might be coming from that interaction over a technological medium. And just because you know the other person is a, of a certain age group and can't wear the lens to see that, doesn't mean that that is uh, you know intrinsically wrong. Yeah. But I think we have to open our minds to say that tomorrow's generation might feel more comfortable over this medium. And once you bring haptic touch in, right, and you're able to create avatars of yourself, and you know you're able to actually generate that feeling of touch as well in the virtual environment, maybe that is truly what is going to keep uh, be good for mental health for people, right? And especially in a COVID-like situation where you truly cannot go and meet a person in in in, in the physical sense, this is an important replacement, right? And, and if you're not able to get that replacement, then, then that is when I think there is more mental health issues than not. So I think we have to open our mind to what's going to be around the bend tomorrow and what, what new reality is going to look like or what new normal is going to look like. Uh, there's also this sort of thought that, you know, uh, you know, it's sort of the crux question people will say, okay, artificial intelligence is coming in and you know, it'll replace uh, you know, maybe banking or, or you know, uh, check-in in a hotel or whatever. But would you go to a doctor, which is, uh, you know, an AI bot, and would you feel comfortable? 
and, and people expect the answer to be no. But in reality, the answer is yes, because the AI bot is going to go through so much reinforcement learning that will probably give you the right answers and the right diagnosis all the time, even if it's empathy related, right? Tomorrow, psychotherapist or psychiatrist are going to probably be, is going to probably be an AI bot because the personal bias is completely going to go out and it's going to bring the best of empathy, the best of you know, knowledge and the best of uh, the right responses in a situation uh, to that, uh, to that uh, exchange. So, so to be able to say that there is only one way of being right and technology is going to create this chasm which is going to be not great for mental health or for, you know, for uh, human interaction, I think is a fallacy. I think we have to open our mind to saying that that's going to be the new reality and it's not going to be all bad. It's going to be good. I don't know if I digress from your original question, but hopefully I stuck to the theme. Yeah, no, definitely. And I couldn't agree more. I think we just need to redefine what it means to be social in today's day and age. And this is kind of the, you know, the stance that I take with, with regards to video games as well. Uh, you know, because I do find that they, they can be very, very useful and a really good way to, you know, to connect and interact and build social skills and, and so many skills that really translate into, you know, into the real world. But, you know, you touched on, on, on robots, uh, you know, potentially taking up these kinds of very sensitive um, careers, right? And, and humans being okay with that. What about teachers? Can, can robots ever replace teachers in your opinion? I think they will replace the knowledge base of teachers, right? So teachers are no longer going to be the repository and custodians of knowledge and information because that's commoditized and is available, right? Yeah. But you still need somebody to guide you, right? So teachers are going to become guides and facilitators and mentors, somebody to bounce ideas off, somebody to give you a sense of a blueprint of what you need to follow, right? Because you do need a blueprint because you can otherwise have info glut or you know, there's, there's just too much information around, right? So what do you focus on? Or, how do you sort of make sense of what direction you want to take? I think that's going to be the role of the teacher, the, the, the facilitator, the mentor, the guide, and the person who, who's your sort of alchemist who makes all of this work for you. And I think that's, that's such a powerful way to position teachers at the end of the day, uh, you know, because I mean, knowledge, as you rightly pointed out, is already there, to be honest. Like Google knows so much more than any teacher would possibly know. But I think the, the human touch, the, you know, the being, being that source of inspiration, being able to push students in the right way and nudge them, uh, that's something I feel is, is so much more valuable uh, for teachers. And I think you know, if, if this is really the role that teachers will have to play today and, and, and you know, in, the, um, in the future, I think training, training teachers would have to be completely different to how they do it today. Wouldn't you say? I agree. I, I think, you know, uh, we are asking a lot of teachers all of a sudden, we're asking them to completely rewire themselves and relearn their roles or, or, or re, reorient themselves, uh, you know, what, what it means to be a teacher. So definitely their roles are changing very rapidly and, and it's a lot to take in for somebody who's been in a teaching profession for a while and used to a certain style of pedagogy and now you're saying, you know, pedagogy is turning on its head. So yes, uh, uh, I think it's going to be a different world for teachers and, uh, and, and uh, whether they, uh, you know, some teachers will be more easily accepting of it. Some of them will be slightly, will find more difficult because they're set in their ways, but, with the, but you know, the world is going to change and reality is going to be different. 
and if we were to, you know, to look at your personal experience, you know, having, you know, having worked in, in, in different industries, et cetera, and now finally, you know, at HP and, and handling, you know, education and technology, et cetera, I'm sure that there were multiple skills that, you know, were transferable over the years. But if I were to ask you, you know, in your mind, what is the most important skill to develop in the era of, you know, industry 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution, da, da, da. Uh, is there a specific skill that, you know, reigns supreme? I think, you know, collaborative skills are going to be probably the most important, right? And, and, and under that umbrella of collaborative, so much else falls in, right? The ability to bring people together on the same page, you know, get them into the same tent. Uh, but also empathy, right? Because to get people into the same page, you, you onto the same page, you need to have a certain level of empathy. You need to have a certain level of EQ. You also need to have situational intelligence. You need to have a certain level of uh, uh, flexibility and and uh, you know ability to navigate the unknown or the ambiguous sort of landscape that is going to present itself to you. So I think you know collaboration skills are going to be key, and especially the fact that we are going to live in such a diverse and inclusive. Uh, world where we're going to make it more equitable through technology, right? Uh, you know, even the example we were giving earlier about technology seeping into the classrooms, that technology is going to make it more e equitable because people of determination are going to now find it easier to be part of it. Uh, people of a certain gender, people of a certain, you know, physical uh, structure or whatever are going to find it much more easier to be uh, at the same level. So I think you're suddenly going to find yourself interacting with people of different cultures, different societies, different abilities. And you're going to have to bring them on the same page to move in the same direction. So, and the collaborative skills with everything else that I sort of underlaid and underpinned, and that is going to be uh, super important. Yeah, and I think it's it's safe to say that you know we're we're living in a time of unprecedented noise, lots and lots of noise. Um, that you know it's it's hard to kind of quiet down and, and take that moment to, you know, to just be in your thoughts. And I say this because, you know, you're, you're not just a yoga enthusiast, you know, you're also a yoga teacher. So what is your best strategy for creating a harmonious balance between tech immersion on one side and then just plain quietude, you know, just being with yourself um, without technology? I think you have to be disciplined, right? Uh, uh, you have to set a a routine for yourself because you know human beings generally do well with routines uh, you know we like to go out of the routine once in a while to you know be curious to uh, sort of excite ourselves and so on but overall you know the the, uh, the human sort of structure does well with rituals and with sort of uh, routines and the minute you put something into a ritual you're spending expending less energy in trying to do it right so the minute it becomes a ritual it becomes second habit and so on so i think it's about finding your daily rituals which include quiet time or include reflection time and so on. Uh, in my instance, you know, uh, I also believe that, you know, the human body is not designed to stay static and, you know, one burst of 30 minutes of 45 minute exercise is not enough. So, you know, I, I, I advocate exercise snacking or, or, you know, smaller bits of functional movement throughout the day. So I think you have to find those moments for yourself. Uh, and, and I can just give my own example. So I, I spend you know, 30, 40 minutes in the morning, uh, but, you know, it's usually more of a, a more rigorous workout. But uh, I also then go for an afternoon walk and that has become easier when you work from home, right? Uh, you get your vitamin D, you get your a few moments to sort of rationalize the upper end of the day and plan the second half of the day because work and life is no longer about balance, but it's about integrating because your day is continuing, right? There's days I'm at 6.30 at work and then days I end at 11 p.m. So 
So it's about finding those in-between slots, right? And then I, I, I do a restorative uh, sort of uh, yoga session in the evening, which is not about movement as much as about quiet time and about sort of smaller movements, uh, minute movements, but, but restorative in nature. And I meditate before I sleep. Uh, I also go for a walk after dinner. So I build these routines in, which you know look like a lot, but actually they're very easy to build in. And even if I miss one or two, I've done the other three. So I think you have to build those routines of movement and of uh, quiet time and, and keep the phone away at that time, keep the laptop away at that time, keep the TV away at that time. Those need to be your, your self-internalizing uh, moments. Yeah, um, one of my favorite moments is just afternoons because that's when I literally unplug, take some time off, go and walk outside, you know, take a breather, come back totally refreshed for you know, another focused uh, work session. Um, I wanted to ask you, because again, our audience are, are youth, so I think they would really be open to hearing you know, some wisdom from, from you. What advice would you give your, your younger self, whether in regards to you know, pursuing specific, you know, just a career path or just, you know, just general life advice? I think I, I would tell my younger self to be sort of more at ease because you know, uh, life is not a, a sprint, it, uh, it's a marathon. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you've done X thing by a Y time frame. You know, be, be a little more relaxed on the time frames on yourself. And, uh, and probably uh, you know, stop and smell the roses once in a while. Yeah, that's great advice. I had to learn that the hard way, to be honest. Um, but I, I, I do appreciate now kind of, you know, going going on your own timeline as opposed to you know just society's timeline for what needs to be done what needs to be done when um as, as we're wrapping up here uh, i want to touch on you know what is exciting in the ed tech space for you today so whether it's you know specific technology that you think is going to rev revolutionize uh, education moving forward or anything specific that you know that you're excited about to see in the ed tech space you know, there's, there's so many innovations coming out and very exciting ones and, and things which are making it easier for students to sort of partake into the knowledge ocean and so on. But I think what truly excites me is what we alluded to earlier, which is, you know, the transforming of teachers, right? Because these teachers are going to be agents of change for students who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. And, and so they're the absolute crucial bridge, which is going to be which is going to make an impact on the student for life. And, and for me, I think this whole transformation of teachers and, and companies that are going to be able to do that in the right way is what is exciting uh, for me. I mean, at HP, we launched a program called HP IDEA, which stands for HP Innovation and Digital, Digital Education Academy. And you know, we don't talk about HP throughout that program. It's a one-year immersive program for teachers. Uh, we fund it, and uh, along with our partners from Intel. And, and what we've done is that we've really uh, curated a program where we focused as much on teachers upskilling and reskilling themselves on technology as much on innovation and resilience. So we want these teachers to have that innovation mindset so that they can pass it on to their students. But we also want them to be resilient because the context for each teacher is going to be different. Some of them are going to be very hard pressed to get the right technology tools into their classroom, right? Uh, if you're a teacher in a small village in India or in Africa or wherever, right? You might not have all the technological tools at your disposal, but within what you have, within that context, how can you make an impact? And you know, a lot of our time in that program goes on 
impact that a teacher can make with very little resources. And you know, we partnered up with an education consultancy firm called Mirai. I think we've done a sterling job in creating the curriculum for that uh, one-year program and truly taking teachers on a transformative journey. And while we are doing it, there are others also trying to do the same thing. So I think anybody who's trying to take on this big uh, part of the burning platform, which is you know, how do you transform teachers to be ready for tomorrow and thereby making an impact and unlocking value for students. I think those, those are the companies that I'm going to watch out for. Yeah, nice. Um, I, I wholeheartedly believe in, in the importance of really taking good care of the teachers, giving them the toolkits uh, and the mindset shift uh, that they really need to, you know, like a, an upgrade in mindset to be able to take on, um, you know, some challenging uh, territory here. Um, and before, before I wrap up with my last question, do you have anything that you always believed about education but you recently changed your mind on? I think, you know, a year and a half back, I thought education was changing too slowly. Of course, now I have changed my mind on that, but that's probably because obviously of external environment and, and the fact that, you know, uh, it's been forced upon us. But, but I think what it has underpinned is the resilience of the education sector, right? And that, which I thought was probably, uh, I, 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 I hadn't foreseen the resilience that the education sector would have and for its ability to transform itself so rapidly, even though it's forced, but I think, you know, even within that context, uh, schools, universities, most people are within the education sector are doing a brilliant job of reforming themselves, uh, realigning themselves. And, uh, you know, it's just been such a pleasant surprise. Funny enough, I was talking to a teacher yesterday and, uh, you know, she's based here in, in Bahrain and she said the same thing. You know, she said the first, you know, the first year when the pandemic hit and overnight they had to transition to online, they faced a little bit of challenges. But she you know, openly said this, but she said for the second year around, we were ready. You know, we started talking as teachers. We started collaborating. We saw what worked and, you know, we, we shared it with others and we started experimenting a lot more. So I said, it's fantastic that this happened. How do you take, you know, all the good that this has, you know, done for you and for your students, et cetera, and use it post COVID, you know, when you go back to uh, normal schools, you know, in, in the building, et cetera. She said, definitely, we're already rethinking how we might be able to use some of the things that we've been exposed to during this time and actually, you know, have it like as an institutional uh, practice. So I think definitely, you know, there's always going to be good and bad sides, but I think hopefully with the education uh, system and structure specifically, there's a lot more uh, good than bad. Um, I, I usually wrap up with a question specifically on STEM. So if you had a mission in STEM, but I would say, you know, I'm going to change it up a little bit for you to say, if you had a specific mission in education generally, uh, what would that mission be? I think it would be the ability to showcase to every young person that knowledge is freely available. You know, they just need to dip into the ocean and, and too many of them uh, stand by the shoreline, not knowing what to do uh, while the ocean is just right there. All they need to do is tip their toes in and then, you know, a little bit more than the toe and then before they know it, they can be swimming in it, right? But, uh, but uh, too many of them uh, don't realize what is available, which was not available to even a generation back just this vast knowledge of, uh, uh, vast ocean of knowledge, which you can just partake in any time that you want. 
from anywhere that you want. I mean, that's unprecedented to any generation before this. So uh, I think the more of them that can realize the magic of this or the, the fortune of this, I think that would be great if we can make each one of them see that. Yeah. So it's like saying, you know, the world is your oyster. Um, and there's there's a saying that I always tell, you know, um, my facilitators at Cleverplay, I say, you know, you can take the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Our job is to make the horse thirsty enough to be able to go and drink on his own. Yeah. I think that's the job of, you know, the teacher and the learner really just kind of being inspired by you know, the environment, the environment, but something that they see and actually go and seek it because we have lowered the barrier of entry so much so today that honestly with your phone you can unlock so many things uh, that wouldn't have been possible you know just a few years back so uh, i think that's such a great takeaway and i do want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm sure that our listeners are going to get a lot out of the uh, the episode Thank you so much, Ladifa. I'm very grateful for this opportunity and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. It made me think on a few things afresh. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to your listeners too. Absolutely. And that's all we've got for today's episode. If you love today's episode or know someone who could use its inspiration, please be sure to share it with them. Also, please let us know if there are specific topics that you'd like us to cover on the podcast. Be sure to reach us on stem.cast on Instagram. And before you go, may we please ask you if you are finding value in, in the types of conversations that we're having on the show to leave a review before you go. That's really going to help us spread the STEM vibes, you know, to more and more people all around the world. So make it your mission to spread STEM vibes with us and enjoy an amazing day ahead.